Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, the audio tonic to all of the aches and pains that equate to life in the Premier League this season as a Fulham fan. It's been a rough ride with almost no flat road and the twists and turns have left us battered, bumped and bruised, with many of us aching for a return to the tracks of the Championship on which rides we enjoyed so much success last season. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening. You're sat nav on this arduous leg of the journey and I'm joined by three voices of reason in the chaos that surrounds us. A man who's always keeping an eye on the speed limit is Farrell Monk. Your intros are a tonic to my mind. (laughs) The man who's almost ready to fit a car seat for the newest member of the Fulham family, Drew Heatley. Hello, I've got cramp. (laughs) (laughs) And he can't drive, but I bet he's very good on Gran Turismo 4. Our very own YouTube sensation is in the building. The star of the show on the Fulhamish channel is Jack Kelly. I appreciate that, thank you. Before we force ourselves to take a, a deep dive into the game itself, and then by a deep dive, I mean probably quite a quick dive. Uh, how Fulham edged ever closer to relegation. It's time as ever for our three-word reviews. We had some good entries this week. Farrell, would you yeah. do the honours? Yeah, there's some lovely ones. Um, I'll only read out a few, but there were some great ones uh, this weekend. Uh, a little bit of a positive from Christian Liedberg. Sorry if that's mispronounced, but second half draw. I'll take that. I'll take that. Ryan Burns, money back guarantee. And finally, Jake FFC, stop the plastics. Stop the plastics. <laughs> well, that's a. Um, there will be more on the on the protests etc later down the line. But I think just before we get onto the game, a quick reminder that Fulhamish is back for the season by Labrooks, and for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Well, let's get into it, and it didn't take very long for Manchester City to break us down. Jack, a good goal from a good player, and while there are mistakes in the kind of lineup and what happens with Fulham there. There are some things you can't really do much about, and Bernardo Silva's form this season is potentially one of them. Yeah, yeah. Bernardo Silva has been one of City's best players this season in what is a magnificent um, footballing side. But but yet again, it is a goal like both goals that come from mistakes and giving the ball away in the final third, and and it just seems to be. 60-65% of our goals this season have come from that kind of situation uh, we put ourselves into. It's extremely frustrating, but um, look, Manchester City, we thought they'd get more goals than they actually did. And uh, in that sense, we did quite well. But um, yeah, it, it's City. You can't really complain. Drew, interestingly, Scott Parker changed his formation, changed the lineup, and not one that many of us were expecting, even if Mitrovic's absence was forced somewhat. Uh, is that a good thing? I've been thinking about this quite a lot. I've decided that flexibility in a manager is something that our two previous managers really lacked. And for Parker to come out and, and change things up to suit the opposition we were playing is potentially a good sign. Yeah, and I do like the, the positive spin on that. I, felt my, I must admit my first thought was it's very Ranieri-esque and, you know, you look at the five at the back again and you think, oh, you know, it, it works so well for two thirds of the season. You know, note the sarcasm. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess you could probably say that it's, it's nice to have a bit of flexibility. I, I'm increasingly, I know that Park has been on to a hiding to nothing, um, but you know, I'm increasingly finding myself wondering whether he is the right choice for next season. Uh, and I know that's a, something we can talk about at a later date because it is, does open a can of worms. Um, as for the as for the first goal from Silva, yeah, he's been fantastic season. But you know, again, you know, Timothy Fosimento had a terrible game, uh, and you just shoot yourself in the foot so early on, and we do it all the time. It's it's like 
facing City without Mitrovic is like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. But then when you mess up like Fossi Mensa did straight at the beginning of the game, we concede, it suddenly becomes Everest. And we all know what happens to people who try and traverse that particular mountain. Farrell, what, what were your kind of thoughts on the first 10 minutes or so? Because Fulham did go behind and City did play some excellent football. But Fulham did try. And we, we did try and play our way out of the back. And whether that's a positive or a negative is maybe yet to be implied because it's hard to judge how good that is against a team which are so good at counter-pressing and so good at keeping the ball themselves. But there were kind of moments where we tried to play some nice stuff and then tried to work the ball out of the back, which was a little bit more reminiscent of last season. Yeah, absolutely. I think that what Parker's trying to instill is is getting back to playing our strengths, which is playing the ball out the back, not just playing it long. Uh, trying to play with a bit of dynamism. I mean, we did, although, you know, it was a kind of negative playing with the five at the back, but the, you know, four of the five back there are probably our most dynamic um, defending players. You know, we weren't just trying to play uh, the three centre-backs and, you know, just keeping them as three centre-backs. We tried to play with Chambers and Timothy Fosu-Mensa out of all the central defenders that we have, if you can class... TFM as a, as a centre back, he's probably they're, them two are probably our most dynamic. We've seen what Callum Chambers can do with the ball at his feet, and obviously Fossu Mensah is definitely a right back by by nature. And you know, it's it's very different than having perhaps Remond and um, you know maybe even a Doy or, or Lamarchand as the as the two sort of wider centre backs. And you know, off them you've got Christie and Brian. And Brian, I thought had a very good game if it wasn't apart from the. Um, the, the mistake that we'll probably get onto in a little bit. Um, you know, the, the problem was for me is that when we tried to move the ball forward quickly, we quickly got found out and ran out of ideas and did play it long. And because the gap in between our, our, our defence and our attacking players and our wingers, it was, you know, when the ball was got forward and Ryan Babble with all his endeavour wasn't going to win any, any balls up top and it would just fall fall straight to, to their centre mids again and all of a sudden Man City are on you again and the amount of times that the ball was just coming straight back to us was was not great. Yeah. However, yeah. we are playing to our strengths a little bit more. Yeah. You know, it all comes from confidence and as you can see in little fits and starts throughout the game that there were times where we were breaking down Man City and getting into positive positions by playing the ball out the back. Unfortunately, it just didn't work every single time. I want to touch on something you just said in, in terms of the fullbacks, and especially Joe Bryan. Obviously, a mistake for the goal. He's put in a bit of no man's land by Tom Kenn, who sort of leaves mm. him with no real options for the pass, and, and then he underhits it desperately. And, and Sergio Aguero finishes it off in the way that Sergio Aguero does. Mm. You know, nine times out of ten in that league, you get away with a thing like that because the ball was so wide when it went, and it, but Aguero has that quality. I thought both wing backs were good. I thought that we've restricted the wide play. You know, you saw Bernardo's cut inside early on, but that was actually a, a TFM mistake, as you just alluded to. Um, we restricted their wide players to kind of pot shots from distance for, for a lot of the game. And that, that comes down to quite a lot of hard graft from both Christie and Brian. Mm. Brian, in particular, has had two good games now on the bounce against Liverpool and City. Do you think that Parker's introduction is starting to bring a little bit of confidence back into our wide players and, and try and kind of utilise them for what they're good at again, rather than Ranieri making them cut back inside constantly? Yeah, because obviously under Jokanovic, the wing, um, the fullbacks were such an integral part of the system. So it would be great to get that back in uh, into the system again under Parker. And um, if that's the kind of style of play he wants to go for, then great. And there's no two better... Actually, hold on. There's no two, you know, more suitable left back and right back than Christie and Brian going into the championship next season. Um, so that's always a positive. I thought Brian was very good. 
apart from his mistake. Um, and yeah, Christie, he's got a lot of criticism this season, but look, he he's a very good right back, a capable right back, especially when we're down in the championship. He does a lot. He does, he does a lot of running. He's got a lot of endeavour. And I, I, I've said this before, I, I really rate him for that. Like, Ability-wise, if I had to face another season, be it in the Championship or the Premier League, with Christie as our first choice right back, would I be happy with that? No, not really. If we're looking to go straight back up, Brian, I, I, you know, I echo what people have been saying. He's he's proven himself to be capable this season. He's at, you know, he's had on and off, but he's he's ending it on a high. He seems to be one of the players who's uh, defying the the levels of confidence that are on the floor throughout the squad at the moment. So in that sense, you know, I'd I'd like to have him as our first choice left back. But yeah, fullbacks are you know, integral to the modern style of football that most teams play at the moment. So, of course, we need to ha- have, you know, capable players at, at, in both those positions. G- going into the championship season, I'm slightly more concerned about the right-hand side uh, than I am the left. But having said that, yesterday, as you say, they both acquitted themselves well. Someone else who has maybe turned things around a little bit recently is Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa. I wanted to bring up earlier that when, when, Ken- when Kenny's played in a two in the middle... The other player has to do a lot of work. And when they're, especially not when they're a defensive player themselves, or, you know, Zangis is a box to box midfielder. He's not a defensive midfielder that's just going to sit and let Tom Kearney roam. Uh, and I thought he acquitted himself well, basically on his own against the triumvirate of Silver, <laughs> De Bruyne, mm-hmm. and Ilke Gundawan. You know, he's shown over the last two weeks, especially, that there is very much some quality there. And, and we're starting to see why. Fulham invested in him a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And this is someone who is still so young. I mean, he's 22, 23 years old. And, you know, he's he's certainly showing the kind of form that attracted Fulham in the first place. And I'm so glad to see it because we saw a little bit of it just before he got injured towards the start of the season. And he's come back and he's obviously worked his way back into the team. He's actually been fit for, for a little while now. And, um, you know, he's had to probably prove himself on the on the training field. And he, he's doing it, you know, against the two the two runaway leaders, if you can call it that, in the league. He's he's more than been a match for, for them, especially since when you consider uh, beside him, he has got Tom Kearney. Although we love Tom Kearney, we oh, love course. his that's abilities. Not, no, um, Absolutely. No and he's obviously got to work a little bit harder, especially when the team have so little confidence to move the ball forward that you are constantly under attack from the other team and having to to run up uh, run up against all these these amazing footballers. And, you know, he's not just breaking up play he's also using it quite well I mean their last uh, last time out against Liverpool yes he did give the ball away two or three times but I don't really remember a time against Man City on Saturday I remember him giving the ball away equally but you know he tries to play those passes forwards he's not a he's not a safer player as I mm. think that maybe people think he is and, and therefore he gives the ball away trying to make break a line or, yeah. or do those things and and I don't have that much of a problem with that because He's, def- he's not a defensive midfielder. There is eventually, you would hope, in a four-three-three, which Parker seems to kind of want to play, mm. and it, I, I think it's good that he was able to branch out. But I think that's going to be his home formation for a lot of things. You know, especially coming up under Jukanovic and under Pochettino, you'd expect him to play something of that kind of ilk. And if there's a defensive player behind Nangisa, he will have the license to bomb forward mm. and try and break lines. And that's going to be good next year if he can stay. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he's one of those few sort of defensive players in inverted commas that is very positive on the ball we saw against Liverpool he was he was the person that made the most successful dribbles on the entire pitch and that was 
on the losing team against the team that went top of the league. Yeah. That shows his that shows his quality. He's not he's not just willing just to stand back and play the safe safe option. He is definitely there to try and move the team forward. And one of the few players that we have in our team that can actually take the ball round the opposition. Jack, for all our huff and puff, we didn't actually ever look like we were going to score on Saturday. No, I mean one chance that springs to mind was was Chambers getting the ball in a high position and playing it to Sesti on the low cross was was well dealt away by yeah. Edison. Yeah. Apart from that, we had a cross in the box. Cabano couldn't compete in the air. We had nothing going forward. But you know, you're not gonna create chances if you don't have someone like Mitrovic who can hold up the play and, and and be a handful in the box. It was the first time we've not had a shot on target at home since 2010. That's a. I mean, it is a damning statistic, but also it's Man City. Well, no, and it is, and it is, and but I don't know. It's just uh, we we've avoided the derby points total this season, but there's so many little other stats that go <laughs> under the radar that just will history won't judge us kindly. Probably ha- judge us harsher than it has it is at the moment. Like just all of the different. It, the points total is obviously the ultimate barometer of what a team is across a 38 game season, but there's so many other little stats that are going to make us seem like one of the worst well the uh, the early relegation candidates it, it is one of them and obviously Fulham could be relegated tomorrow if we if we lose against Watford that would be you know a, a big one just I will we'll come on to that Watford game in just a second because I think we're almost done with City but just before we do that I was going to talk a little bit about Ryan Babel you, you mentioned earlier Farrell that he, he had a lot of endeavour and he ran about and he put himself about but some of his touches on the weekend were desperate, Drew. <laughs> yeah, it's such a shame as well because I thought, you know, I've been a, quite a big sort of champion of Babel since he came and I'm glad that he sort of did well when he from his uh, arrival because there was a lot of detractors when he was signing. But yeah, a terrible, terrible, terrible game from on, on Saturday. And I suppose, you know, you probably do have those, but at the same time, as well, I mean, you got to echo handing him the armband was a bit of a, just a bit of a terrible decision. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about that is he was the most experienced player on the pitch. He's an international, uh, you know, yes. current Netherlands international. He's worn the armband for the Netherlands. I appreciate, I like, appreciate that, but I think we've got to play the game and dance the dance. If we've got young homegrown players like Ryan Sesson on that we want to keep next season and beyond, I think you've got to play, pay a bit of lip service to him and imagine that what he would have done for his confidence, which we may add is also probably on the floor having the season that he's had has been so difficult I appreciate that that uh, Barbo is far more experienced but I just don't think you've got much to lose in that point no, in the okay, game you're, yeah. you're right but uh, you know we do in, in Britain we do certainly overstate the captain's role um, you know in other countries in particular in Italy they just give the, the armband to the, the most capped player in the team that is kind of like a given whereas in Britain it's supposed to be the blood and guts kind of guy and the person that's really going to lead the team out but you know I, I, I've seen enough around to to realise that it's not always about that and you really need 11 leaders out there on the pitch and you know the fact that Ryan Babble was given the armband I'm really not too too fussed about to be honest I mean there's no real other standout candidate on the pitch at the moment no, apart from right. apart from the de facto kind of club captain from which a politics is, perspective it's just play- it's just playing the game a bit. Yeah, of course. And there's something else on this kind of note, I suppose, is that we, you know, we're going into injury time and he decided to bring Kevin McDonald on for, you know, for might have been Babel, in fact. It was. Mm-hmm. It, would have, it was that switch at the end. It was obviously not a tactical switch. It was obviously a switch to say, all right, we're bringing McDonald in. I haven't forgotten about the players that, you know, I cared about. If Scott Parker is doing that for political game with the fans and the fan base, why not bring on Steven Sessignon? Because yeah. it, is mm-hmm. that, uh, has, he, has he missed a trick there, Jack? Well, he was on the bench. I mean, maybe 
I don't because there were so many defenders on the pitch anyway. We were playing a five. Yeah, no, of course. Wasn't... But I think it was no. It was injury time. It was like you know, it was one of those things. He'd obviously not brought on McDonald to be a goal scoring threat. I, I think that Barbell <laughs> was tiring and he got stroppy in the second half. There was one time where he didn't get the ball played to him and he just stood there and and was like, "Why didn't you play me the ball?" And then we won the ball back and then he was standing in an offside position when we had a chance to actually break. And, yeah, yeah. Barbell annoyed me in, in that game and yeah, we. Maybe could have brought on Stephen Session, but but maybe once we are relegated, maybe tomorrow um, we can start playing the kids. As I on, said when I was last on here, on that Session point, we kept Matt Smith at the club for about eighteen months to two seasons longer than we should have done to keep Kearney happy. So yeah, bring on bring on <laughs> Stephen Session, give him some Premier League minutes, and keep Ryan happy. If we want to keep him, if we want to cash in, cash in. If we want to keep him, which I presume we do, let's give him a little. Let's give him a little carrot. Okay, well let's move on to Watford because. Tomorrow we play a game which could see us relegate from the Premier League. It could also see us win some points on the road, which hasn't happened very often. <laughs> Let's be vaguely optimistic about things. Uh, what's your kind of opening gambit on Watford, Farrell? Well, they play with a lot of dynamism, and this and this is something that we've seen throughout the season from from Javi Gracia's side that you know they're not just a sit back and defend and get on the counter attack. They do they do ha- harry you, they do hassle you, they do get the ball forward quickly when they do win it. Um, and they've got, you know, a, a perfect foi- foible up front in um, Troy Deeney, who as much as a scumbag he is, he does perfect for them. He, he represents everything they do uh, really, really well. And we, we couldn't live with them in the first, um, in the, sorry, we couldn't really live with them in the home game. They, they created so many chances in the first 45 minutes from doing just that. We just couldn't live with what, what you know, what was a well-organised a dynamic, yep. well-established Premier League team, and that was a recipe for the rest of the season. Such such a pumped-up, arrogant chap was I in August. So I was uh, backing Gracia to be the first manager to go, and then I think the footballing gods said, "You know what? We're going to mug you off, and we're going to make uh, Watford <laughs> do quite well this season." Uh, they're so physical as well. I think, uh, at, in, in not in, even in a necessarily in a derogative way, or or you know, even damning them with faint praise. They're, they're as you say, they've got that dynamism. They're they're a, a good side. I just think that they're probably going to knock us around a little bit on Tuesday. We've got absolutely no confidence, and I just think it's going to be a bit of a a dogged evening. But I do like, I quite rate Troy Deeney. You call him a scumbag. I don't think he's all right. Not for his footballing abilities. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. But, you know, um, if you've if you've uh, seen some of the stuff he's said and done in the past. Then... He, I don't think he's the nicest geezer in the world off the pitch. Uh, let's just talk about some of their other players, though, Jack. Uh, the ones that have really impressed me recently, obviously, Delefeu and Pereira. Mm. And again, caused havoc at the weekend against Manchester United. We could really be under the cosh a little bit there. Um, I haven't actually seen the highlights from matches yet. I haven't got around to it. But um, Pereira and Delafay have been really decent for Watford this season. They've got that kind of quality you need up front. And that's the kind of balance that Watford have in their team. They um, they have rocks at the back like Capicelli and and then they have that kind of flair going forward. So, um, yeah, Delafay, he caused Cardiff a lot of um, problems when they beat them 5-1. And, um, yeah, and then they got that kind of um, rugged kind of striker in the, in the box with Dini who could cause his problems. But... Um, I do like the way that Watford go about. They're very solid. They've they've got a good core team, and and, and they will do well in years to come if they keep to that. And obviously, they've got Diacore, who's been mooted to have some big money moves yeah. uh, in the summer. Mooted and, himself, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's exactly. Good. He's a good player, though. Uh, he's de- he definitely um, wants to put himself in the shop window this weekend at the at Old Trafford for Solskjaer to have a look at. That mm. said, though, Watford play one of the biggest games in their recent history on Sunday. Uh, they've got a FA Cup semi-final and you know Wolves are, are the favourites but that's a winnable game for mm, Watford sure. they're a winnable, winnable to get themselves into an FA Cup final that's huge for them are they going to have to rest players because 
you'd suggest that you know that game takes precedence over this considering where they are in the league and you know it doesn't look likely that they're going to kick on to european football just yet i know and it's tight around the the kind of seventh area but you know that that's their best hope of silverware in a long long time they they've got to be focusing on that no yeah actually we are fortunate in that regard that the game was rescheduled for before the date that it was originally meant to be played in that sense yeah we we could benefit from uh from resting players and and you know as well as they've done this season i wouldn't suggest a squad further the squad depth to uh for us to still be concerned if they do rest one or two so yeah it does give us a chance and i think that's probably our one saving grace uh, we know the inevitable is going to happen soon and we're just waiting to be put out of our misery. But it's so, so important to start building some of this confidence back up because we need to enter the summer on an upward trajectory. We've spoke about it before. Obviously, we've not had a chance to do that yet because of the four games that Park has had so far. They've Three of them have been against top top four, top five opposition. So, yeah, we need to start building uh, back some of this confidence and get ourselves on a bit of an upward keel a little bit. And this would be a perfect opportunity to do it if... They rest players. If they don't, we, you know, we need to start. There's definitely there's like two things that Watford probably do need to look at. That they've got a good opportunity, um, not well, to, to qualify for Europe in in the sense that there are three teams in the Champions League uh, quarterfinals, which means there's a good chance there might be an English team uh, winning that and pushing down another sort of Europa there's four, League. There's four English teams. Four English teams. League. I do apologise. Um, that might push down another Europa League. Uh, spot. spot as well um, because it is unlikely for them that if they get past Wolves that they'll end up having to probably play Manchester City which is a much tougher ask than at the moment trying to finish seventh because I think they've have they got one game in hand but they are only like one point off seventh at the moment yeah. and that's a very winnable considering the form that they are, they're in. I think that this is Parker's audition now isn't it Jack? Mm. You know the the four games we've had you know, Leicester away was the one that you'd go and maybe he could have got something out of it. It didn't go to plan. But now Watford, Everton at home, Bournemouth, Cardiff at home, Wolves and Newcastle. He's got to get some points out of these games if he's going to be wanting to be considered for this job permanently, right? Yeah, this is this is do or die for Scott Parker in terms of his future at the club, uh, in terms of the number one spot. Uh, it's a really good chance just to just go for it. Just go for it and, and install some confidence into the players. And, and even if we do lose on Tuesday night, like what Sunderland did, they came to our place last season already relegated with no fear. They did end up losing the game, but they, t- they did take the lead and, and cause us issues. So in that kind of sense that even if we do go down on Tuesday, uh, this is a really good opportunity just to let them off the leash. That doesn't really matter now, does it? Look, we go, we're, yeah, know, yeah, we've yeah. got to look at it as, as if we've, we, we, we'd be deluded to suggest that we are not. Going. Yeah. This would be the greatest of all great escapes. Yeah. And it, it doesn't involve our hands, right? No, it's all about the confidence. And it's, you're going to see the cut of his jib now, Parker. Like, uh, you didn't see it before. There was, it was kind of, it was all a bit of a, we said the term free hit too many times this season, but sadly, and that's one of the problems that we've had this season is that, you know, uh, there's so many good play- teams in the Premier League that we've been writing these games off as free hits as fans. God knows what's going on uh, at a high level. But yeah, this is where we find out whether Scott's got the minerals to take it on next season. If you're asking me to make a snap decision now and based on how I feel now and a prediction on the last few games, no, I don't. I think we should look elsewhere. But that's not to say that Scott's not got a massive job uh, to bring us back up uh, on an upward trajectory before the end of the season. Yeah, he's got six games now to sort of you know, he's had, what, four games now? Four? Four games? And he's got six games to go to really implement his ideas and see, analyse the group as a whole and go, right, this is the way I want to play with these groups of players and be able to convince some of the bigger names, some of the some of the ones who are a bit younger, 
the ones that probably feel that they should be playing in the Premier League to actually say, look, come down with us, play with us, get us back into the Premier League and then we can go from there. And I'm the man to actually lead that and say, look, we've got a good, good group of players. We've got a great club. He quite clearly loves the place. Otherwise, he would never have returned in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would love to see Scott Parker do well because we're in because then we're in a perfect position to come back up again because he can actually, he has that direct link to the players to say, look, I can lead this team. I can lead this team. I can lead you. I can lead Fulham back up to the glory days. Just before we get onto the big bag of questions, I would like to hear your starting 11s for tomorrow. So I'll start with you, Jack, and we'll work around. Rico, Christie, Lamarchon, Brian Leffert, who's other saying that? Nordvite, Angisa, Kearney, Chambers. Can't think of any other players. Um, Ayite, <laughs> this is the, this is expert, the point expert we've got opinion. Ayite, <laughs> and bring back Alexandra. If he's fit. If he's fit. Farrell? Um, I'd quite like for us to go back to a four at the back. I don't think it quite works with the centre-backs that we've got at our disposal. We're not quite dynamic enough. If we had Tim Ream five or six years ago, we would have been perfect for him because he loves bringing the ball out. Uh, And you can see how good a footballer he is. Um, And the same with Adoy, perhaps. taking Tim Ream from just a year ago, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'd, I think I'd return to a four-five-one in particular. Um, hopefully Mitrovic is back, but um, uh, two centre backs. To be honest, anyone, any one of our plethora of centre backs that we've got. Is it too early for Mawson? I think it. Will I be think just it will be. I mean, if Mawson's fit, definitely he would be well, in. Parker said he needs to play an under twenty threes game before yeah. he plays in the first mm, yeah, game. Okay. Guess, but so. you know, I think obviously Brian on the left, uh, on the right, I would probably put back Timothy Fosu-Mensa considering his performance against. Uh, Liverpool um, I'd have Anguissa sitting and in front of him I would have um, Seri if he's if he's back and available and Kearney in front of him and then on the left Cess and perhaps I mean if Mitrovic is available I don't mind having Babel up top and then on the right either Aite or Sherla I think perhaps I would go with Sherla at this point even though I've quite liked having Aite back true I would go mostly with the team that you just said, Farrell, to be honest. But the only concern is if Mitro's not here, then we are just so blunt up top. You know, a lot was made about seven league goals between the front three against mm. Man City. And, uh, you know, there's not a hell of a lot you can do about that, frankly. But, uh, yeah, that's that's my that's my biggest concern. Um, I, I was going to try and be all edgy and say Chuck Mawson in, but if he's too early, then, I, you know, you've, you've gone and taken my only USP I had for what is, you know, quite an uninspiring 11 at the moment. I'd put Chambers in at centre-back. I'd, I, I thought he was all right there and I'd put him back in. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I should have said okay. that Chambers should have stayed centre-back. If not, and I don't mind him playing defensive midfield, I wouldn't mind seeing Tim Fossu-Mensa play centre-right-back centre in a in a four. Um, mm. I know he wasn't particularly good against City, but then again, and I've said this too many times today, it is City. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there is something to be said for that. So so I think I wouldn't mind if if Chambers plays deep I, in, in a six. I would I'd have Fossu Mensa in at the right centre back. Yeah, Fossi- I'd also I'd also put him back in Fabry because he's supporting Stop the Greed. <laughs> My number yeah. one, um, Fossu Mensa. Yeah, he didn't. He had a bad game on the weekend, but that, I don't think that's necessarily was. I don't think it was a positional thing more than just having a shit day at the office. Yeah, no, just not very good. I, I would like to see Angus and Seri back together. Um, I, I think they will complement each other mm. at some point. Maybe not ever, actually, because I don't know don't they'll ever play together again <laughs> after this year. But I think that their skill sets should complement each other because next season if, at Barcelona, especially if Seri gets back to that kind of snappiness we saw uh, the kind of latter end of the Ranieri reign, yeah. um, we, which really would I think complement Anguissa's kind of 
dynamic box to boxism. So if, if we could get those two in and and maybe try and work that to work, then that would be that would be fun. Um, but but who knows? Who mm. knows? At the end of the day, maybe we should play Ryan Cessna on as a false nine. Uh, and really just up the ante with no games to go right we'll be back after the break with an absolute shed load of your questions hello i'm lucas piazon and when i'm not winding up reading fans i'm listening to fulhamish podcast welcome back to the fulhamish podcast the number one fulham podcast my name is jack collins i'm joined by jack kelly how you doing you're right farrell monk oh hey (laughs) andrew Heatley. hello who uh Farrell, you're very excited. So I'm going to start this question section with you. We've got an absolute load of your questions. Thank you so much, as ever, for sending them in. Just before we start the question section, a reminder that it is backed by our friends over at Putney Pies. Farrell, what kind of pies are they? The best pies in the land. The finest pies in all the land. Uh, they are open, obviously, before and after all Fulham games for wonderful pies and wonderful drinks. And you should get over there and use the code who at all the pies and quote about the podcast to get 10% off. Right. What's in the post bag? Russell, Russell, Russell. <laughs> I enjoyed this one from East FFC. They say, what's the worst shot you've ever seen at Fulham after Otamendi's pile driver into Bishop's <laughs> Park? Oh, that was sensational. I absolutely loved that. I mean, that's, how high is that in the air? 50 metres? That was a big hit. I can't even kick the ball that far, <laughs> let alone him absolutely thwack it from 15 yards out. That's all. I remember Tom Kearney hitting the Putney, um, Putney end screen sometime last year, which was amazing. The fact he well, had a shot. Um, we prompted a discussion, I think, at the time. Oh, really? Like the other people that had hit that, hit that thing. As far as I know, that was the first time ever. And to, to thwack it and, you know, strike it on dead centre of that board, that goes something. What I really enjoyed was the, the unbridled joy that it elicited from the hammy end when it went over. Like, I, you know, we were so... Re- it just a mark on the season of how pleased we were that something so weird happened and we just loved it. Like, giddy kids. Mm. Jack? My favourite shot. Yeah, if it was shot ever. I didn't answer the question. Worst shot ever. Uh, I remember Kai Vossa against Blackpool. We um, we needed a goal to make it 3-2 after they took a ridiculous 2-0 lead. And he just cut in and just smacked it over the bar when he should have obviously drilled it across the box from McCormack. My um, Ahmed Elrich once hit the side oh, as well. Yeah. Uh, now obviously famously in prison in Australia. Um, for that but, shot yeah for that shot which was completely reasonable uh, I think the worst shot I've ever seen at Fulham was Orlando Saar do you remember when he missed that chance from like one yard out against Adenza oh, and yeah. it, it was like literally he hammered it he didn't even hammer it over the bar he just missed and then they went up the other end of the he did, all he needed to do was put the ball out of play and he flushed the was. shot and then yeah that was that was bad. I've just it just reminded me of one uh, it was Alexander Kachaniklic away at Bolton and someone had rolled the ball across and all he had to do was tap it in and managed to sort of roll his foot over the ball. I think that was Sheffield uh, Wednesday, wasn't it? Uh, whichever one it was. Um, but yeah, that, that was from like two yards out. And I think the bol- Bolton went up the other end and equalised. Which was sensational. Good. Excellent. That's a good question. I like that one a lot. Uh, Marissa Cardoni says, how often do you think Babel gets his hair re-dyed? <laughs> Every four, five days, I don't know. It seems to be red every time. Weekly. Definitely of, weekly. Yeah. Definitely weekly. You should have put it to the best haircut in here and Drew Heatley. Oh, I don't know. I, somebody, I was at lunch saying somebody said, Rude. Oh, do you work <laughs> do you work near here? Uh, I recognize you. And I was like, I look like every 30-year-old white man that's ever lived. <laughs> so that's why you recognize <laughs> that me. Was, that was your genuine statement. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I said to him. He loved it. Um, definitely weekly. I dyed my hair red once. Did you? Years Drew, ago. Drew Weekly. Story. 
Uh, I dyed it red, and then I, my favourite top at the time was a green kappa t-shirt, which showed you how 90s it was, and uh, it was probably the worst look I ever had. Yeah, red and green never be Are seen. Are you sure? <laughs> Very good. I know the answer. Uh, the oh, answer hello. Is... No wonder you asked this question. Oh, I didn't actually ask. I saw this in, and I got it, and I was like, I wanted to ask you all first, because... Uh, Ryan Babble gets his hair dyed by A Star Barbers. Oh, I knew you were going to say this. Yeah, of course. Uh, he yeah. obviously appeared on, on BR Football Ranks. Great podcast. You listen to it. <laughs> um, he gets it done, yeah, just under once a week. He's, he gets it. Every time I get a notification, be like, A Star posted a picture with Ryan Babble. And I'm like, ah, oh, there we are. Ryan <laughs> Babble's back on the story, having his hair redone. So there he is. That's how um, That was a good how one. Much, how much is it to get a haircut there? Well, so this is interesting, right? So if you go out to Chertsey where A Star is, it's actually quite cheap, is what it is. It's you know quite reasonable, but if he comes to you, it's like a grand. Oh wow! So like it's one of those things where I mean, I imagine if you went into the barber, you wouldn't get the main man Ahmed. Ahmed wouldn't be sorting you out. You'd be getting one of his minions. Mm-hmm. But if Ahmed comes to you, it's, it's, it's spenny dollars. Mm-hmm. But he's always in like Leipzig cutting people's hair and stuff, so you probably wouldn't get him. There you are. Um, right, Isaiah Rice. If football ceased to exist at the end of the season, you had to find another sport. What sport would you choose? He suggests baseball. I'm going to politely decline. Wow. Um, and I'm going to throw this one at you, Farrell. Uh, I already have another sport. Formula One is my other sport. I mean, it's probably as boring as baseball, but there's certainly a lot more going on than baseball. Uh, Not as many statistics, though. No, that's true. I mean, it is an absolute joy to, for me to watch, and I will watch it all the time. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I talk about it a lot. Uh, to no one on your own Jack <laughs> yeah. right what would be your, you have to pick up another sport um, I'd probably spend more time watching Thursday Night Darts Friday yeah. Darts yeah. I enjoy that type Drew uh, I went this to watch this is important because you'd have to raise your child in another sport well I know it'd be very odd and uh, you know I'd kind of mention the uh the forthcoming prints in my 4-4 Drew. Check it out online. Mm. Uh, sorry for taking your trademark there. You've actually taken my name. <laughs> someone else. <laughs> um, to answer the question, because I didn't answer the last one about the shot, uh, ice hockey. I saw the Nottingham Panthers play a couple of times. It's great because you can drink, watching some guys fight, and it's, there's lots of goals. Do you call them goals? I don't really know. <laughs> I'm a one-sport man, actually, to be honest. So this, this would be quite a departure in my life. Uh, so, yeah, ice hockey. Mine would be basketball. Oh, nice. Uh, I really like basketball now. Uh, I think. Did you not make it as a player? No, I I'm, I was a bit too tall. Um, so that, was, that was really really held me back. You know, uh, they were like, no, you you just be able to just put the ball in the hoop. So that be that'd be unfair. Um, yeah, there's a London basketball team now, and I'm oh, quite yeah. into the idea of that. So they got what they got? They got the London, London Lions. Lions that's like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. This one's for you, Farrell. It's from Muzzy. He says, "Do you think the protest was a success?" Oh. Love this. Uh, it's good to actually talk about Stop the Greed again. Um, you know, there's there's several things here. You know, how do you measure measure success and all that? But you know, the obviously the ultimate goal is to to make a positive change and make sure that Fulham, the club, are held accountable for their decisions, especially with the you know with the fans. They've got you know a very large stakeholder, which are the fans, and they shouldn't really make a lot of the decisions without you know our support. Um, and you know the the ultimate goal will be to to make sure that ticket prices come back down again and make sure that they're affordable and remain affordable for for the for as long as the club exists um you know but the first battle was was raising awareness to be honest and my word there is an undoubted success in that in my mind considering the amount of of media coverage there was the amount of photos the amount of people that you know that there were a lot of people that 
uh, were already coming along and were waiting for us and came to talk to us. But there were so many other Fulham fans that came and spoke to us and, and were absolutely outraged by what the club was doing. And, you know, there, there were sort of murmurings about, you know, the little disgruntled bits here and there. These are the conversations that they have with their friends or family in the pub going, you know, is it really £55? The ticket price have been quite a lot, quite a lot this, this year. And we've actually turned that into a little bit of a movement. Now people are coming and approaching us about it. And... You know, to be picked up by by so many fans, and there was uh, a lot of um, support outside the ground. There was a lot of support inside the ground for it, but also the the amazing um, media coverage that it got. We never thought that it would be covered by so many people, to be honest. So you know, it's a, it is a success. And to be honest, if people weren't aware about it beforehand, they certainly are now, which is the main thing. And you know, we're going to continue that momentum throughout until the club really actually make a decision for, for that's right for, for us and for the club as a whole going forward. I think it's important to add that we won't really know if it's been a success until the club returns to the Premier League. Agreed. That's that's a you know a long term thinking because of course prices are going to go back down in the championship. They might not go down to what they were before, but of course the prices are going to come back down because it would be insane not to do that mm-hmm. given the climate around the club and a relegation climate. Uh, I think what's important is that of course the protest wasn't correct like wasn't perfect. You know, none of us have have done anything like this before mm. and you know we tried to work with as many different groups as possible to make this happen and i remember we, there was a wonderful article from danny on, on full and focus the supporters trust have been really good with making making these kind of things happen and, and and there was so much support from such a wide variety of groups and this was very never meant to be about us and it was never meant to be about about fulhamish it was about making ticket prices cheaper for the next generation mm. and going forward we just wanted to be you know part of of making something happen and trying to trying to make you know force a change that we feel is necessary at the club i think that that's probably comes into you drew do you think we sent the message that we wanted it to yeah, I think um, I've spoke to one or two people at the club and, and I know and they've made it clear both to us and I think probably in general that the word greed is not something that they uh, necessarily appreciated. And, you know, if you look back on it as a as a campaign and you think, OK, do we use the if we do it again, do we use the word greed? And we've rationalised it and rationalised it. And we've even pivoted the, the message to say, look, this has never been about the Khans and their investment in the club. He says, and while we're on that subject, it has we nothing should, to do yeah, with... We should add that, by the way. Yeah, yeah there, definitely. There was a there was a counter protest, should we say, or not counter, but something that was very much tagged onto it. There was nothing to do with our with our protest. Yeah. There was nothing to do with us. We, we, you know, this was always for us, not about any sort of complaint with the Khans as custodians, you know, there are, there are plenty of things that you can, you can criticize and you can critique, but uh, I think a lot of people are going way too far. I think that Mm. in general, you know, we're quite lucky to have the owners that we have uh, and the amount of investment that they've put into the club uh, and the amount of time and and work that they've put into the club. And, and for someone to, you know, take that and add it to what we were trying to say was not kind of what we were intending. No, I I massively co-sign that bit. And that's not, necessarily the Khans you've said it quite perfectly this has nothing to do with the ownership it's nothing to do with the amazing investment that he's put into this club and you know long may it continue to try and make this a a wonderful football club again and make sure that we have some sort of success along the way the people I've spoken to anyway during on Saturday and leading up they know that we're not talking about the Khans and we've made that clear we pivoted the message we said before like the word greed and Sammy put it quite well in a tweet, you know, what would you call charging, uh, you know, a child £55 for a ticket or, you know, you'd call that, I'd call that greed. And, you know, so from that point of view and for a message that gets people's attention, 
absolutely you know that's 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 great i pivoted my message on saturday to say you know we can't afford to lose a, a price out of generation of fans because i felt that was for me mm. the key message on absolutely. on the campaign yeah. so and i didn't actually use the term stop the greed on saturday it's not that i don't disagree with, i don't you know i completely back the campaign obviously i'm part of it but i just just softened it a little bit just to try and get the same message across that's the line that went down the one that said we can't afford to price out fans is the key element i think of what we were all saying you know that's the that's the underlying message of all of this and i think we should wrap this up kind of quite now because you know we, we've made our point and the and the, and the campaign will continue through it, but you, i'll leave you with the last word Farrell. well i was just going to say that it, that the message is succinct enough to be able to put on a banner because they you know they charge by the letter really. <laughs> <laughs> right jack i'm gonna get to you to lighten up this one mm-hmm. so this one comes from alan hill he says, would you fight 100 mouse-sized Mitrovic's or one polar bear-sized Joe Bryan? Well, I think any polar bear would, would probably kill you. <laughs> yeah, so It's not a polar bear, it's a polar bear Joe Bryan. So right. it's, it's Joe Bryan, but probably about 1.5 size the, times the size of Joe Bryan. Well, I mean, I'd give oh, him well, two. Well, yeah. Maybe two yeah. on hind legs. I'll go with the mice. I think you just kick them. <laughs> yeah, but they'd be really angry because they'd be little Mitrovic's. <laughs> <laughs> a few, bites, a few yeah. bites on your leg from like that size... Yeah, yeah, that would, that would piranha feet. Quickly. I reckon I could charm a polar bear size well, Joe Bryan. Yeah, to be honest, like if it was, why would I be fight? I mean, I can imagine the little little Mitrovic's would be a little bit trying to attack me and whatnot. But you know, the the polar bear size Joe Bryan. Joe Bryan seems like an absolute gent. He'd probably read me a bedtime story. Imagine or something. the drugs that he would have had to have taken to get him that size. Though he's going to be pissed off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, last one. This is from Brian Lake. He says, "Is it better now for the club to give minutes to the players we think will be with the club next season?" Or to give the ones that they want to sell in order to possibly try and drive their price up. Drew, I'll start with you. I think once we're relegated, I think we can experiment. Scott Parker can experiment with players. He can give Stephen Session an out for all the reasons that we've already mentioned. Uh, in terms of selling players, I think that you know we can't sell everyone. Uh, and I know that I might be proved wrong in the summer, but I, you know, on the face of it, we can't sell everyone, and nor would we want to. So I would just do what's best for the club and what feels right, and play uh, certainly play some of the youngsters to give them some Premier League minutes. We did it with Woodrow and David when we went down last time. We're in a much better position than we were four years ago, and I think that we can once the shackles are off and the and the weight is off our shoulders, as it were, the millstone's gone from around our neck we can start doing uh, a bit more experimenting. Right, Jack? Yeah, I'd say the same, I think. It'd be memorable for, for the young, the youngsters to get some minutes, uh, something to remember uh, their season by. Um, in terms of driving up prices, I, I don't think that's particularly a good strategy to do. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd give you know young Sessegnon, maybe Matt O'Reilly, some minutes as well. They deserve it. Farrell? Uh, I suppose it's kind of down to Scott Parker, what he kind of would see... For next season, I mean, he sees these players week, you know, week in, week out on the training ground, and would get an idea of of how they fit into a system that he wants to play. Um, I don't know if any of the players have already made noises about whether they want to go or not, but apart from Andre Scherler, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I I really couldn't give a definitive answer either way i mean we've got so many lone players in the squad would we even be able to like field a team without them to be honest um but to be you know let's just give a I'd, i think parker would probably just see let's just give a good between now and the end of the season yeah. regardless of what who's going to be here 
come August. Well, I think that that's it. If Scott Parker can build a team now, you know, in these six games or build some sort of spirit in the camp that goes, you know, we've, yeah, we got relegated, but we gave it a good go at the, towards the end of the season. We played well against Liverpool. We didn't play that well against City. We played well against Chelsea. We were a little bit unlucky at parts against Leicester. You know, and now we've got six games that we can give a good account of ourselves. And if you do play players like Seri and Anguissa and they continue to do well and they continue to bond with the players in the team, maybe that's how you convince them to stay. You go, look, look how good we were. Let's give this one big crack in, in, in the championship and see see if we can get players to, to kind of stay. And I suppose that that's the big, you know, the big killer in terms of making the players we want to be at the club this next year stay at the club. And hopefully stifle Neil Warnock's attempt at keeping Cardiff in the champ in the Premier League. That would that would be yeah, an addition. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be a nice little bonus. I think it would I think it would soften the blow a little bit if Cardiff came down with us. Oh, yeah. it'd be the highlight of my season. Be if careful, guys, because the Cardiff fans will be listening this far along in the podcast. You know, <laughs> then they'll hear this as well. You're, right. but you're not... Oh, well, sorry. I was right, two, two last bits. Farrell, first of all, do you want to name at this podcast? I'm going to name it Otamendi's Shot Joy. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually very good. Well done. I'm impressed. Right, last bit from me. If you are still listening to this podcast, first off, well done. You've got through... You know, another hour of us being sad about Fulham. Um, but secondly, a lovely man named Chris has offered us two spare tickets to Watford in the spirit of the Stop the Greed campaign. Uh, and he has said that he's happy for people to take them. And uh, we were going to give it as a prize for a best three word review. But we know that that is basically hiding to nothing because so many of our fans are from across the world. So what I'm going to do is basically just put this out. The first person to tweet me and the podcast with the keyword Legowinski. It is go- and you want those tickets is going to win those tickets they're for collection at Vicarage Road tomorrow uh, and we can work it out so if you want those tickets be the first person to message the podcast and me saying Legwinski and you'll win tickets no Cardiff fans allowed if you're a Cardiff fan you are very much not allowed to come <laughs> if you're a Watford fan you are equally not allowed to be in your way and you haven't sold out not fair um, <laughs> Right, all that's left for me to do is to say uh, thank you very much to Jack Kelly. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Farrell Monk. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much, Drew Heatley. Thank you. How far are we away? We are two months and four days away. It's big, isn't it? Oh, I'm getting very nervous. It's got a lot of nursery building to do over the Easter weekend. It does mean that uh, his or her birthday won't clash with any sort of football season related stuff I can exclusively already tell you that a few months ago I told you it was a boy Farrell but thank you <laughs> <laughs> clashes the Nation League though and my brother's oh, going yeah. so he'll, he I won't can't wait there. to meet little Zolly <laughs> yeah. little Zolly right I've been Jack Collins this has been the Fulhamish podcast thank you very much as ever for listening take care you won't